This is The Capital Corner, a McGuire Woods podcast exploring investment strategies, capital structures, and topics relevant in today's middle market private equity. Join McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share practical insights to inform your deal work. This is Jeff Cockrell, partner at McGuire Woods, and thank you for joining another episode of our Corner Series. Uh, where we dive into narrower topics and industry focuses in a short format with some of the leading industry participants and deal makers in healthcare investing. Um, today, I'm thrilled to be joined by my good friend Pete Tedesco. Pete is a managing partner at Health Enterprise Partners, and uh, Pete really brings uh, a combination that is, in, in my mind, a rare combination of skills. Pete brings a very intense intellectual understanding of healthcare investing but also brings an amazing array of soft skills that enable him to navigate complicated sale processes with oftentimes difficult sellers in a way that lets us both get there smoothly and get there at all. Uh, So Pete, uh, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about HEP and yourself, and then we'll jump into some topics. Absolutely. Thank you for that kind intro, Jeff. Thanks for for having me and great to be here with you. So uh, as you mentioned, Pete Tedesco, managing partner with Health Enterprise Partners. We are a lower middle market private equity firm focused entirely on healthcare. And then within healthcare, we specialize in healthcare services and healthcare technology investments. The uh, kind of unique part of our uh, firm is that across the three funds we've raised to date, in addition to capital from financial investors, we've raised capital from healthcare industry constituents. So we have 19 hospital systems and 17 health plans that are limited partners in our funds. We try to leverage those relationships to help direct our thesis-driven sourcing activities, as well as help vet and then grow the companies that we ultimately invest in. Thanks, Pete. I'm always interested to hear uh, kind of how thesis uh, are developed and healthcare is a massive world. It's a sixth of our economy, a lot of different places to focus. Where are some areas that you are developing your, your, your thinking around? And let's delve a little bit into what your kind of thought process is on why those sectors. Sure, I'm happy to do so. Uh, as I mentioned, we, we tend to be pretty thesis driven. Um, we're a small investment team, and so we can't chase a lot of different opportunities uh, if we're not, you know, already, uh, you know, in a, in a place where we have a lot of conviction around uh, space and sector and a lot of knowledge of what the, what the success drivers are in that space. So one of the things that we do to help uh, identify those thesis areas is consistently survey our payer and provider limited partners on what issues are keeping them up at night and then try to go find companies that map back to that. One that is far and away the largest priority or pain point for both providers of care as well as health plans and other constituents is the current labor shortage as well as pressure on operating margins. And those those are tied together because the labor shortage is resulting in increasing costs for the labor, but not being able to find qualified individuals, particularly uh, clinical folks, is a really big problem as well. And so, you know, as we did a survey towards the end of 2021, we saw that reducing costs 
through administrative automation was probably the number one priority across the healthcare landscape. And what do I mean by that? I mean that there are ways to improve hospital health plan operating margins by shifting administrative tasks from previously manual or paper-based processes to electronic or automated processes. And these can help in, in myriad ways, but the focus really is on being able to address the labor shortage, get more work out of the same staff, improve the margin opportunity for providers, address physician and employee burnout, and improve access and, and uh, the patient experience. So what I think started from, frankly, a necessity to combat increasing labor costs and, and shortage of labor actually has the opportunity to then uh, you know, help providers and payers go on the offensive to you know, both improve outcomes and improve access and um, patient experience by adopting these administrative automation technologies. That's interesting. So with that thesis in hand, how do you go about scouring the marketplace looking for a target? Is it kind of best in class? Are you looking for a foothold? Are you looking principally for a, a person that you think can take a company to another level? How, how do you think about that? Or is it all of those? Ah, I was going to say, why can't it be all of the above, Jeff? So no, you know, what we will typically do is, is put together uh, what we call a sector roadmap where we are segmenting a given thesis area on, on a number of different attributes. Within administrative automation, you might uh, segment it based on provider-focused tools, payer-focused tools, and patient-focused tools. We will then run through our own research, determining you know, companies that we know or, or discover in each of those sectors and, and working to speak with them perhaps not even as a potential investment opportunity directly, but more as a way to gain additional knowledge in the space. We will pursue those as well, to your point on executives, with folks in our uh, executive partner network or our broader network of operators who will both have a skill set and, and typically an ability to operate within that industry, but also a network of their own you know, companies and uh, and contacts that can be that can be additive to our to our work in that space, um, and then of course you know we're also reactive to things that do come in over the transom, but again our work in developing these thesis areas and understanding the the drivers of success and the different players and business models allows us to move more quickly with conviction around those opportunities when they when they do come in. Do you find that when you move into areas that don't have the same kind of direct governmental reimbursement, like so provider services, that it opens up the type of uh, competitive buyers that you're competing against? And um, how does that impact pricing? Uh, so how do you think about that dynamic? You know, Jeff, the uh, old answer to that question, I think would have been yes. It probably still is. However, what I would say is uh, we've seen, for better or worse, those broader organizations being interested and in, in dipping a toe into more heavily regulated government reimbursement, very niche 
healthcare segments. And I think it may, you know, possibly goes back to, I think, where you started this conversation, which is just, frankly, the size of the healthcare market, particularly when we look at technology type tools, broader tech investors shifting a focus to make sure that they have some exposure to the healthcare market. Same thing with services. Investors saying, hey, I want exposure to healthcare and you know, not being scared away by some of the you know, more managed or more reimbursement heavy solutions out in the market. It will be curious or it will be interesting to see how that plays out you know, over time. I would like to think that there's some benefit to those of us that spend you know, our entire lives in this industry. But that said, you know, we, we do have a lot of issues that you know, need to be addressed in, in the healthcare market, and there are room for, for a lot of different winners. Yeah, I come across private equity investors that are not really healthcare investors all the time that are doing exactly what you said and kind of dipping their toe in. And I had a conversation uh, just a week or so ago with uh, someone that was looking at a healthcare deal, and they said, well, it's, it's probably not uh, like super uh, regulated. Uh, it's a kind of a turnkey solution for a pathology lab. And I'm like, oh, my word, you're just diving in headfirst into deep, deep water. <laughs> uh, but definitely participants who have not historically been healthcare investors are dipping into that space, uh, sometimes with full awareness of the risk that they're walking into, sometimes not. Uh, but that market will keep getting uh, more crowded. That's why they need a, uh, a highly qualified, you know, healthcare attorney. Exactly. Exactly. You know, right yeah, right on they, cue. Thanks, call thanks Pete. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe spending a little time on kind of provider services. That, that, that's also a wide market of uh, sectors. Which areas have you developed a thesis around in, in uh, services? Well, we've got a number of thesis areas that we're pursuing there right now. Uh, one area we've been extraordinarily active in as a firm historically um, is behavioral health, um, really chasing uh, the the, uh, the tailwinds in increasing access to care, increasing interest in um, in receiving care, and then what is still a, a huge supply and demand imbalance in the U.S., really across all levels of acuity and behavioral health, everything from general uh, therapy all the way through, you know, more serious addiction treatments and, um, and serious mental illnesses. We, we've got a number of portfolio companies uh, uh, in that space and, and prior investments. Another one that, uh, that we've been investing in heavily is, is women's health and, and increasing access to high quality care for women. And then a, a, a solution or a, a sector that we've been investing behind, uh, gosh, for going on a decade, over a decade now, and the industry has been talking about uh, as long as I've been in healthcare investing, it, value-based care. But we're thinking about it in a slightly different way, I think, today than perhaps we used to and, and the industry used to. And the way we think about it today is that value-based care is really becoming a piece of every provider's business model. There's not, barring a couple of industries, an ability to ignore generating results that are positive from a value perspective and an outcome perspective. Measuring that and quantifying that 
and being able to report on that. And so as we think about where we want to invest, our provider businesses all perhaps succeed under fee-for-service models, but know that they are taking steps toward succeeding or already have a business model that succeeds under value-based care. And then we're also spending a lot of time looking at both technology and services that will help provider organizations make that transition to value-based care models. So that could be assisting with payer contracting, workflow management along the care delivery spectrum, protection uh, from downside risk, and even technology tools that will help predict success or lack thereof under alternative payment models or value-based care models. So it's an area where there's a lot of activity, but we're trying to think about it as how do we help enable the next generation of provider across various different specialties succeed in value-based care models? Kind of provider adjacent. Uh, Yeah, we, we see a lot of that data analytics and other things that are components of how a provider business needs to evolve if they're not going to lose their shirt in value-based uh, contracting because risk-based uh, uh, contracting means exactly that. So all of the aspects around that. And then on the provider side, in my world, that's one of the more interesting uh, dynamics is you have uh, folks getting to a, a certain scale beyond just kind of primary care. It might be orthopedic or other areas where you get to a certain scale. And then you can all of a sudden start doing uh, value-based uh, contracting with payers in a market in ways that are super disruptive to that market. I think we're going to see a lot of evolution of, of what kind of the consolidating scale of some of these practices, what they are able to do that non-scaled practices are not able to do, and it'll start kind of shaking up those markets in, in super interesting ways. Uh, but I think we're in the early innings of that evolution, but it, it should be a, a both a fun and bumpy ride all the way. That's right. And that, that certainly informs the way we view provider healthcare services investments, right? Is that geographic density is quite important because it used to be for just having better negotiating power with, you know, the local payers by driving, you know, greater volume and density in a geographic area. That's still the case. But then it's also being able to create, you know, partner with the local payers and being able to create value-based care models that will work and will allow the business to succeed in that given market. So it's always been important to have geographic density as we think about some of the buy-in builds we do around provider organizations, but that is that is of increasing importance given value-based care trends. Right. Even just on the defensive side of it, uh, if you're going to be able to compete in that in a market where that starts happening, you're, I think you're exactly right. The uh, density and scale in a particular uh, geography is, is necessary to both exploit those and defend against uh, others that are exploited, but that'll continue to evolve. That's right. Well, Pete, we'll uh, call it there for today. Um, it's always fun to talk with you. Uh, like I said, you're, you're one of the best uh, healthcare investors I know. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. Uh, Enjoy the conversation. Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Capital Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you.
This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.